0: Welcome to the Hawthorne School for Girls podcast. In today's episode, Miss Miriam Helmers will explain what liberal arts is and what it means in our education. Thank you so much. I wouldn't miss this for the world because you as the parents need to know exactly what Hawthorne is doing for your kids. And I shared this with the staff on our staff faculty days. And they were like, we all need to be on the same page, so give this to the parents. And I was like, oh, great, we'll do, we'll summarize, because we spent quite a bit of time on this. So I'll give you a summarized version of what staff are already very excited about. So we're going to be talking about a classical liberal arts education, and maybe you've heard this phrase, and well, maybe you don't know what it means. I didn't know what it means until I did some research into it, so I'll start with the liberal arts part, and then look at the classical part. So we'll break down the meaning. As you can see, I'm an English teacher, so we break down definitions. So the liberal, liberal arts comes from Latin. Oh, I also teach Latin. Artes liberalis, which essentially, while loosely translated, it means the knowledge worthy of a free person. Uh, points for anyone who can tell me which part is the free part. Anyone, hands up. Liberalis. That's the freedom part, right? That's the free person. So, the knowledge worthy of a free person. That's a very packed, packed quote, but I'll try to unpack it. So, this is about safeguarding traditional wisdom, and it's a, a high view of the human person. All right, so the human person is at the center of this idea of the knowledge worthy of a free person. And the knowledge is the traditional wisdom that we're trying to safeguard, trying to keep for generations to come. So I want to go through those two things. So what is, what is meant by traditional wisdom? Well, here at Hawthorne, we emphasize what's called the Western tradition. So Western philosophy and next, knowledge and evaluation of the history of the Western world. You might think, especially looking at my, um, my audience in front of us, what about the Eastern world, right? What about China? What about India? And the neat thing about Hawthorne's education is that we open their minds to those cultures as well, but invite them to share the richness of this Western tradition. And the two cultures meet and dialogue. And that's one of the most interesting things we have in our classes. The third part of this traditional worldview is that it comes from a Christian worldview. A lot of Western philosophy has been influenced by the development and growth of the Christian church. So it's important as well that we learn that and the values that we hold here at Hawthorne, the Catholic moral values that we teach the children is part of that tradition. Okay. Now we all are clear on the Western tradition part. That's in a a rush. I'm sure you'll remember it. Let's go on to the human person, to the high view of the human person. Here at Hawthorne, each person is considered to be a child of God, a unique person in the eyes of God, and therefore in the eyes of all of us. We look at them as somebody who has their own unique mission, purpose in life, and we help them discover that. Miss Yu was talking about the character education program and the mentoring. And a large part of that program is to help them discover their, that they have a purpose. So at Hawthorne, human formation is integral. Integral meaning that it looks at all aspects of our life. The head, the heart, and the hand, I like to say. So those three aspects which, you know, I'm not good at math, so they break into four things. But it's the mind and the will, the emotions, and our actions. So The actions, clearly the hand. The emotions, clearly the heart. The mind and the will, I consider kind of in between the head and the heart. Why why is this important? Because as they develop all aspects of their life, they are in a search, as I put there, for the true... The good and the beautiful. The the Hawthorne education is more than just math, or I wouldn't be standing here today. It's more than just English, even though I'm passionate about English, right? It's about what we can discover through those subjects that lead us to higher things, right? What is truth? What is good? If I'm teaching the children about uh, Jane Eyre, for example, you know, this is a novel we study in grade, grade 11 and 12. It's not just about knowing the story. It's about why this character chooses to do what she's done, right? Out of in conscience. And if you haven't read it, read it. <laughs> it's a great book. It's one of my favorites. Uh, or watch a movie. That's okay, too. Adaptations. There's also a, a big focus on developing the reason and our consideration of the good in terms of morality, right? What is good and what is evil? Actions have consequences. And the girls don't just learn this through the discipline that we have at Hawthorne. You know, discipline is part of any school. So yeah, we get the tensions if we're late and things like this. But it's not really about that. It's about how our actions perpetuate on others, right? How they have consequences for their future lives as well. And again, if you think about any other school, they have guidance counselors, they have you know, principals, they have all the structures that we have, but in Hawthorne, that guidance counselor is going to tell them, think about your future career, not just in terms of what you want to do, but how you can serve society, and how you can do the good. That's, you don't get that at every school, I assure you, right? Not having gone to Hawthorne myself. It's not, it's not something that you're going to hear from your guidance counselor necessarily. So each girl is taught that they have a purpose for their lives and the development we're helping them to grow is to pursue that goal, right? Pursue that mission that they have. So we're clear on the liberalis part, the artes liberalis part, the freedom part, the knowledge that's worthy of a free person. But what about the classical part of the classical liberal arts education? So classical can mean several things. Ancient, traditional, tried and tested, right? So it's been around for a long time. And, well, the classical liberal arts curriculum actually comes from a medieval curriculum where they broke things into different subjects. So it was a categorization of different subjects. The trivium, okay, I'm throwing a lot of Latin at you today. Trivium, which was the grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then the next part of their curriculum was the quadrivium, So tree meaning three, quad meaning four, which were the so-called mathematical arts. I'm not going to be talking about the mathematical arts. I think you know by now. Not too great at that. But the trivium, the trivium has lasted a long time in terms of being incorporated into the education of the human being. And here at Hawthorne, we take that very seriously. So I want to look at the trivium closely now. So this can be integrated gradually into all levels of learning, right? And again, those three things are grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So I wanna focus on grammar. Now, you're thinking, oh, the English teacher. Who here dreads grammar, right? What is a noun? What is a verb? And my students look at me, like, Okay, that's not what grammar means in in this context. Grammar simply means the fundamental rules of each subject. So whether it's science, math, or English, right? It's about those fun- fundamental concepts. The knowledge of a thing. So that's where you get things like the times table or, or indeed what is a noun, yes? The key things they need to know for that area. So uh, this involves things like memorization, right? Because there's a lot of concepts that they memorize and repetition of different things. For example, going through math problems again and again and again. So they get those fundamentals down. So what I have learned is that grammar is typically the forte of this age group, grade one to four, because they're excited to learn. You know, they're young, they're open to worlds of possibilities. So how many of you have children in that age group? Okay, so grammar, this is going to be their their strength. Not maybe English grammar. Maybe they won't know what a noun is by the end of this. But they will be curious and excited about many key concepts. And that's, that's neat. That's really good. Okay, the next one, logic. This is about learning how things relate to each other. Now they've got the fundamentals down. They learn how to think, essentially. They learn how concepts relate to each other and how uh, things are connected, I don't know. If they learn who Christopher Columbus is, and then they learn about the new world, and they put those things together, they understand that the discovery of the new world was crucial for many things in Europe, etc. So they're, they're exploring and developing from fundamentals to discovering, yeah? New discoveries. So this is typically grade five to seven, typically I say, because you know, We have different ideas here, but for me, this group, I'm sorry to say, okay, is there any child here? (laughs) It's not, I cannot teach this group to students. I I find them very argumentative, but I think it's a good thing. And it's, it's natural in them. And this idea of logic channels their argumentativeness, right? If, for example, they challenge you on something, you can say, well, why don't you go find out? Right? Why don't you tell me what it's about? And then they, that natural desire to challenge is channeled, you see. And they discover for themselves. They explore. How many of you have children in this age group? So grade five to seven. So at home, you can take the same principles. (laughs) They start challenging your authority on something. Well, why don't you think about it? Right? You tell me some reasons. And then they're making the connections themselves. And that is good for them. Okay, so the third level, rhetoric, as you might imagine, is for an older age group. It's typically the upper school age. And this is about self-expression and independent thought, which is why in the upper school you don't get so much... Well, you do get a lot of math problems that you have to do over and over again, I'm sure. But you also get a lot of essays, right? You're like, whoa, another essay. It's geography. Why do I have to write an essay? You know? Or history. Why do I have to write an essay? It's because we're looking for you to to express yourself, right? We want your thoughts. And we want you to give us some persuasive argumentation. So not just an argument, as in the other grades. You know, not just argue with me, tell me why, give me reasons. Have a debate in class, right? And another thing we encourage in the upper school is leadership, leadership among the older students, because it's here that they, they shine. They need to shine, they need to express themselves and so we give them that opportunity through many things, right? Student council, projects, volunteering, and their, their creativity and initiative is channeled. They need to assert themselves at this age, and maybe some of my lower school colleagues may think, you know, upper school, you can take care of that, because every grade has its challenges, every level. But I, I love this challenge personally, myself, right? Because it's, it's helping them be independent, And so if they're very self-absorbed because they tend to be at that age, what, 14 to 18, 13 to 17, they tend to be all about them, nobody understands me, the world is against me, and whatever. I love that challenge because for me it's to channel it towards who are you anyway. Your identity matters. You can make a difference. right? You can make yourself understood. If people don't understand you, tell me why. So, so that's rhetoric in a nutshell. Wait, who who has children in this age group? Eight to twelve, grade eight to twelve. Yeah, I thought so, the majority. It's a challenging set of years at home, I would say. But again, it's something that you can use at home. Rhetoric. Tell me about your day, don't just say it was good. How was your day? Good. That's the typical thing. Tell me about it, right? Get them to express themselves. So the Hawthorne student, as Ms. Supan said, it fine-tunes our students' capacity for critical thinking. We round out their cultural literacy, right, that Western tradition meeting all, of, all other traditions, I would say. And finally, it educates the whole person, body, mind, and soul. So I want to end with, uh, with some quotes from an essay that I find very helpful in understanding what we're trying to do at Hawthorne. Because basically, well, let me, let me read to you, and then we'll see, um, we'll see how the Hawthorne student is not like what's being described in this essay. So Dorothy Sayers was a writer in the 1940s. She wrote some mystery fiction, maybe you've heard of. And she wrote this essay called The Lost Tools of Learning, precisely about grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So it's a, it's a good essay to go to if you want to understand this better. Look it up on the internet. So she writes, do you ever find that young people, when they have left school, not only forget most of what they have learned, that is only to be expected, but forget also or betray that they have never really known how to tackle a new subject for themselves. That will not be your child, okay? Your child at Hawthorne will be taught how to teach themselves, how to navigate new waters. Again, today, a great number, perhaps the majority of the men and women who handle our affairs, write our books and our newspapers, carry out research, present our plays and our films, speak from our platforms and pulpits, yes, and who educate our young people, have never, even in a lingering traditional memory, undergone the scholastic discipline, meaning they have not had the opportunity of the classical liberal arts education that I have just discussed, Less and less do the children who come to be educated bring any of that tradition with them. We have lost the tools of learning that were so adaptable to all tasks. What use is it to pile task on task and prolong the days of labor if at the close the chief object is left unattained? It is not the fault of the teachers, okay? So don't blame us, parents. Don't blame the teachers. They work only too hard already. The combined folly of a civilization that has forgotten its own roots is forcing them to shore up the tottering weight of an educational structure that is built upon sand. Pretty powerful stuff there. She's very dramatic. They are doing for their pupils the work which the pupils themselves ought to do. For the sole true end of education is simply this, to teach men how to learn from themselves. And whatever instruction fails to do, this is effort spent in vain. So that is the, that is the liberal arts education in a nutshell, right? that each child learns to be a whole human person, right? that they can go out in the whole, in the world, doing this, <laughs> not doing this, rather. right? So thank you for your attention, and I beg your cooperation in this ideal as parents. Uh, with the, with the teachers. So thank you.